Chapter Ten of the Life of Kit Carson by Edward S. Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Carson gathered the horses together and set out on his return. The distance was considerable, and he was compelled to encamp more than once on the road, while he was continually exposed to attack from Indians. But with that remarkable skill and foresight which distinguished him when a boy, he reached home without the slightest mishap, and turned over the recovered animals to their owner. Some days later, several trappers entered camp with the statement that a large body of hunters were on Snake River, a fortnight's journey distant. Captain Lee at once set out with his men, and found the company who gave them a warm welcome. They purchased all the supplies Captain Lee had for sale, and then, as Carson's engagement with the captain was ended, he attached himself to the other body. He remained, however, only a few weeks, for he saw there were so many that they could never take enough peltries to bring much money to the individual members. He decided to do as he had done before, arrange an expedition of his own. He had but to make known his intentions, when he had more applicants than he could accept. He selected three, who it is needless to say had no superiors in the whole party. The little company then turned the heads of their horses toward Laramie River. At that day the section abounded with beaver, and although the summer is not the time when their fur is in the best condition, the party trapped on the stream and its tributaries until cold weather set in. They met with far greater success than could have come to them had they stayed with the principal company of trappers, but they had no wish to spend the winter alone in the mountains and gathering their stock together, they set out to rejoin their old companions. One day, after they had gone into camp, Carson, leaving his horse in charge of his friends, set out on foot to hunt some game for the evening meal. They had seen no signs of the Indians, though they never forgot to be on their guard against them. Game was not very abundant, and Carson was obliged to go a long ways before he caught sight of some elk grazing on the side of a hill. Well aware of the difficulty of getting within gunshot of the timid animals, the hunter advanced by a circuitous course toward a clump of trees, which would give him the needed shelter. But while creeping toward the point he had fixed upon as the one from which to fire, the creature scented danger and began moving off. This compelled him to fire at long range, but he was successful and brought down the finest of the group. The smoke was curling upward from the rifle of Carson when he was startled by a tremendous crashing beside him, and, turning his head, he saw two enormous grizzly bears, making for him at full speed. They were infuriated at this invasion of their home, and were evidently resolved on teaching the hunter better manners by making their supper upon him. Carson had no time to reload his gun. Had it been given him, he would have made short work of one of the brutes at least, but as it was, he was deprived of even that privilege. Fortunate indeed would he be, if he could escape their fury. The grizzly bear is the most dreaded animal found on this continent. He does not seem to feel the slightest fear of the hunter, no matter whether armed or not, and while other beasts are disposed to give man a wide berth, old Ephraim, as the frontiersmen call him, always seems eager to attack him. His tenacity of life is extraordinary. Unless pierced in the head or heart, he will continue his struggles after a dozen or score of rifle-balls have been buried in his body. 
so terrible is the grizzly bear that an indian can be given no higher honor than the privilege of wearing a necklace made from his claws that distinction being permitted only to those who have slain one of the animals in single-handed combat no one understood the nature of these beasts better than kit carson and he knew that if either of the animals once got his claws upon him there would not be the faintest chance of escape the only thing therefore that could be done was to run there were not wanting men who were fleeter of foot than carson but few could have overtaken him when he made for the trees on which all his hopes depended like the blockade runner closely pursued by the man of war he threw overboard all the cargo that could impede his speed his long heavy rifle was flung aside and the short legs of the trapper doubled under him with amazing quickness as he strove as never before to reach the grove fortunately the latter was not far off and though the fierce beast gained rapidly upon him carson arrived among the timber a few steps in advance he had no time even to select the tree else he would have chosen a different one but making a flying leap he grasped the lowermost limb and swung upward at the moment the foremost grizzly was beneath him so close in truth was his pursuer that the hunter distinctly felt the sweeping blow of his paw aimed at the leg which whisked beyond his reach just in the nick of time but the danger was not over by any means the enthusiastic style in which the bears entered into the proceedings proved they did not mean that any trifles should stop them they were able to climb the tree which supported carson and he did not lose sight of the fact whipping out his hunting knife he hurriedly cut off a short thick branch and trimmed it into a shape that would have made a most excellent shillelagh for a native of the green isle he had hardly done so when the heads of the bruins were thrust upward almost against his feet carson grasped the club with both hands and raising it above his shoulders brought it down with all his might upon the nose of the foremost the brute sniffed with pain threw up his head and drew back a few inches just enough to place the other nose in front at that instant a resounding whack landed on the rubber snout and the second bear must have felt a twinge all through his body though each blow caused the recipient to recoil yet he instantly returned so that carson was kept busy pounding the noses as if he was an old-fashioned farmer threshing wheat with a flail it was a question with carson which would last the longer the club or the snouts but in the hope of getting beyond their reach he climbed to the topmost bough where he crouched into the smallest possible space it was idle however to hope they would overlook him for they pushed on up the tree which swayed with their weight the nose of the grizzly bear is one of the most sensitive portions of his body and the vigorous thumps which the hunter brought down upon them brought tears of pain to their eyes but while they suffered they were roused to fury by the repeated rebuffs and seemed all the more set on crunching the flesh and bones of the insignificant creature who defied them it must have been exasperating beyond imagination to the gigantic beasts who feared neither man nor animal to find themselves repeatedly baffled by a miserable being whom they could rend to pieces with one blow of their paws provided they could approach nigh enough to reach him they came up again and again they would draw back so as to avoid those stinging strokes sniff growl and push upward more eager than ever to clutch the poor fellow 
who was compressing himself between the limb and the trunk, and raining his blows with the persistency of a pugilist. They were finally forced to desist for a few minutes in order to give their snouts time to regain their tone. The bulky creatures looked at each other, and seemed to say, "'That's a mighty queer customer up there. He doesn't fight fairly, but we'll fetch him yet.' Once more, and for the last time, they returned to the charge. But the plucky scout was awaiting them, and his club whizzed through the air like the piston-rod of a steam-engine. The grizzlies found it more than they could stand, and tumbling back to solid earth, they gave up the contract in disgust. Carson tarried where he was, until they were beyond sight, when he descended and hastily caught up and reloaded his rifle, having escaped, as he always declared, by the narrowest chance of all his life. End of chapter 10